Hello and welcome to the OT Schoolhouse podcast, your source for the latest school-based occupational therapy tips, interviews, and research. Now, to get the conversation started, here are your hosts, Jason and Abby. Class is officially in session. Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 27 of the OT Schoolhouse podcast. My name is Jason Davies and I am your host and let's get this podcast started off right because it is April 2nd. It is OT month. Woo woo. So also summer is right around the corner. We're only a few months away from that as well. So we got a lot to celebrate today, this month, going forward. Everything's looking good. I hope you all are having a great start to your April and that everything's just going wonderful at your schools. In fact, I actually want to kind of give a little call to action. I want to see what you all are doing for OT month. I'm putting together a few things that you'll see throughout the month on Instagram, but I also want to see what you're doing. So tag me in a picture on Snapchat, or sorry, not Snapchat. I don't use Snapchat. Tag me a picture on Instagram or maybe Facebook. Uh, let us know what you're doing. I'd love to see if you're putting any flyers up or if you're doing any little events on campus or maybe on a college campus you're doing something if you're a student. I'd love to hear it, love to see about or. Wow, I can't even say that right. I'd love to see it or love to hear about it. That would be really cool to see. Today we're doing something a little bit different. So I first want to say thank you for clicking to press play on this episode. I know the title's a little different than some of the other titles we've had. You know, we just had two really great podcasts on sensory integration. And now we're going to kind of turn the corner a little bit. Like I said, this is OT month and summer's coming up right around the corner. And so for some of you that may be interested in having your own you know, either not necessarily a full clinic, but, you know, see a few a few patients on the side or something. This is going to be the perfect podcast for you today. Today we have on special guest Scott Harmon, who is the host of the Start a Therapy Practice podcast, which can be found on iTunes or anywhere else podcasts can be found. Scott is also the face behind StartAtherapyPractice.com, where he helps OTs, PTs, and speech therapists start therapy practices, whether it be from the you know, just seeing the first few clients all the way up to building a clinic. He actually owns two clinics down in Arkansas, so he's here to talk a little bit about that today. Can't wait to share this with you. Real quick, before we get started, be sure to check out the show notes at otschoolhouse.com forward slash episode 27. And with that, we're going to get started with this episode. I can't wait for you all to hear it. Here is Scott Harmon from startatherapypractice.com. Hey, Scott, welcome to the OT Schoolhouse podcast. How are you doing this evening? Jason, I'm doing good. How about yourself? Not too bad. Can't complain. It's uh, been, a, been a cold few days here, but it's very nice. How's it over there? Are you in Arkansas, right? I, I am in Arkansas. And then you say cold few days in Southern California. It must <laughs> be pretty bad. <laughs> oh, very bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, we had some snow in places we don't usually get snow, but uh, I've heard you guys have had some cold down there as well. Is that true? It's just a lot of rain. You know, I, was, I told somebody today, I, I saw an old man pairing off animals and filing them into a big boat. Now I got worried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. Everyone uh, pack up your bags, right? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really happy to have you on the show today, and I'm glad you're actually the one who reached out to me about being on your show, which was awesome. Um, but I'm glad to have you here because I think I might have told you already, but I actually came across your website, it's got to be like three years ago now, before the OT Schoolhouse even existed, when I was thinking about starting a private practice. And so it's, yeah, it's just crazy how the world kind of spins. OT is a small community, and it is what it is. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Yeah, well, I'm glad I'm I'm glad you stumbled across me there. So, so yeah, it's, it's it, it, it the technology is I'm 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 
a little bit older than you. So the technology always floors me when somebody uh, says, Hey, oh, you, you, you have a podcast. You know, they reach out to me somehow. My, it was, it was funny here not too long ago, my grandma, who's 92, she, uh, she needed some OT. And so she lives in Missouri. I'm from Missouri originally. And so there's an OT who does home health down the road from her who was, who was providing the OT. So she came into my grandma's house, my aunt's there and they just got to talk and that's what you do with home health. Right. Mm-hmm. So the OT mentioned that she wanted to start a practice, you know, she wanted to start her own practice there in, in the small town that, that I'm from. And so my aunt, she said, well, you, you should, you should look up my, my nephew. Uh, <laughs> he, he might be able to help you. And so she started putting two and two together, you know, the last name Harmon. And she said, is your nephew Scott Harmon? And she's like, yeah. And she said, well, I listen to his podcast all the time. <laughs> like, wow, what a small world. What a great use right? of technology. So, yeah. What, I mean, usually I wait till later, but for this, I mean, you have a podcast, you have startatherapypractice.com. Uh, you have the, the course that you have over there as well as many blogs and stuff. What's been the coolest thing that has happened for you? Like, one of my cool things was someone from like Macau, China reached out to us and was like, keep doing what you're doing. That's awesome. I mean, that sounds like a pretty cool story you just shared, but is there another one where you're just like floored by what has happened because you have a website? I, th- I think it's, it's somewhat, it's the everyday, not the everyday things, but it's the things where just, a, which is the total reason I did this, starting a, a pra- starting a podcast about starting a practice was therapists who reach out to me and just ask some of the simple questions or the questions that I think have simple answers just because I've done this for a while. But when a therapist reaches out and asks that, that simple question and I'm able to help them through that, that situation or that, with that answer, that always kind of floors me like, wow, you really didn't know that. Not that they're dumb. They just didn't, they didn't know what they didn't know. They didn't know, know what questions to ask really. And so here recently, I had um, one of th- my classmates from OT school. She she is starting a hand therapy clinic, not up the road from me, you know. And and oh, she's probably an hour from me. And so she got online and started. How do you start a therapy practice? Well, that's exactly why I chose you know the website. How to start? Yeah. Because what are you going to type in? How to how do I start a therapy practice? <laughs> yep. And so. She comes across me and she Facebook messaged me and she's like, Scott, I, I want to start a practice. And who do I come across? I come, I come across you. <laughs> so we're kind of in conversations about her starting her own hand clinic, which is that's it's small world, big world kind of thing. That's that floored me. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the OT community is definitely tight knit. We're close. We're friendly. We all get along. Pretty cool stuff we got going on. Yeah. So let's take a step back and we kind of already skipped the whole, who are you part? And so, so Scott, tell us you owned, obviously startatherapypractice.com. You do everything there with the podcast, but obviously you were, you had a practice before you started that website. So share with us a little bit about how you started the practice. Yeah. Yeah. So I did out of OT school, which I've been in OT for 25 years now, which is hard to believe because I'm only 30 years old. You know, that's, <laughs> five-year-old prodigy yeah, that's right. <laughs> no i've been around the block a few times so out of ot school i worked uh developmental preschool for 12 years and i, I was driving 
almost an hour one way to, to, to my work. So I got kind of tired of that. And as we had a growing family at the time, I've got six kids. So at that time, I probably had four kids and they were really young. So we, at one point we had three kids under the age of three, which there's, you know, several months out of my life. I don't remember because of that. (laughs) (laughs) You don't sleep. I'm sure. (laughs) So as, as the family started growing, I got, I got to where I was like, you know what? I don't want to drive one hour, one way to work, you know, on the road, two hours a day. Plus what if, you know, something happens at home, I'm, I'm that far away from the house. So I floated the idea my, to my wife, who is also an OT, about mm-hmm. starting a clinic in our hometown, which we don't live in a big town. We live, uh, our, our hometown is five to 7,000 people. So there's, <clears throat> there's not a lot of people. Now we're only 20 minutes away from a bigger town. So I floated the idea to her. So we just started, we started praying about that and started thinking, could this happen? Could, would this work? And started asking around, do you think this would work? And that's, that kind of got us on the road to that. So we pulled the trigger on that and, 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 you know, we rented a space and started a clinic. And my wife was the clinic for a little while because she was staying at home with the kids. She was, she was answering the phone and Uh being a therapist, she was able to speak the language Mm-hmm. and make arrangements if somebody had had questions about what we provided or setting up therapy. <clears throat> so she was so the really, company. so she started the business. You were just the employee. That's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds fair. <laughs> nothing's changed, Jason. It's still the same. It's still the same. And I wouldn't have it any different any, either. So yeah, so, so, no, but we, we collaborated obviously and, and started to practice, but it was, it, what was interesting is, Speech therapy was the first need for somebody who reached out to us. So I had to I had to find a speech therapist to hire, and eventually we found a PT to hire. So we provide OT, PT, and speech, and we did that. We started in two thousand six. So, and then we branched out and opened a, a second clinic in that in that bigger town that we're closer to that we're close to. And we started that a, a few years after we started our initial clinic. And so now it's, it's you know, every day, every day's new and different. But, yeah, I wouldn't have it any, any other way. Now my, my older kids are able to help us out in the clinic. And it's, there's benefits of having my own practice that I didn't even foresee because now my kids are, are learning skills by helping us in the clinic. And it's it's benefit on top of benefit. It's been a very, it's been a huge blessing for my family to have come this far with it. So it's, that's, that's how it began, began now how started therapy practice began is one of the, um, one of my wife's uh, students or not students, but they went to OT school together, wanted to start her own practice in the Northern part of the state. And she knew we had it to practice and she wanted to come down and kind of spend half a day and ask me questions mm-hmm. about how to start a therapy practice. So her and a few of her uh, colleagues, some fellow therapists came down and hung out with me for half a day and took the tour and just asked all kinds of questions. And at the time uh, I was listening to a lot of podcasts. And so I had created a little bit of margin, a little extra time in my day uh, at the clinic. And I, I, I'm not one just to sit there and watch the world go by. I was like, <laughs> well, maybe I can start a podcast and just 
maybe people would be interested in starting a therapy practice. And these people seem to gain a lot of knowledge just by asking me questions. I could kind of do an information dump, you know, on, on this podcast. So that's what started the, the podcast, started therapy practice podcast. And I think it's been five, maybe five or six years. I can't remember. It was 2013. Really? So the podcast came first? The podcast did come first. Well, you have to, you don't have to have, yeah. At that point you had to have a website for your podcast. So I don't. <laughs> so, so you had a makeshift website to kind of host yeah. the podcast, basically. Yeah, that's, it. that's it. That's what I did. Yeah, and, <laughs> uh, and so that was in 2013. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and yeah. So I guess that's five, six years. Yeah. Later, that it's hard to believe it's and been. You're that still long. doing it. Still, still loving it. Still, yeah. I love doing the podcast. It's. I'm trying to find somebody to do a little more editing on it. My my kids have edited edited the episodes for me in the past, but you being a podcast owner know that the devil's in the details and you want control of exactly what you sound like. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a little, almost too much control. Sometimes, you know, you're, you're deleting, you go back and forth. Wait, do I delete that little pause or do I leave it in there? Do yeah, I delete it? No. Okay. I'll delete it. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Yeah. You sweat over the, uh, over that. And people probably, they wouldn't know the difference, know. but you and I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, if you had to estimate how many people, how many clinics do you think you've helped start up over the years? Wow, that's a good question. I wish I knew that. I wish I, if you're listening right now and you started a clinic, email me and say, hey, I started a clinic, Scott, and after I listened to your podcast, that'd be cool. Right? I'm, I'm sure you've helped, I mean, hundreds probably. I mean, I would hope so. Of- I mean, if the Academy of private practice is my membership side of start a therapy practice. And so I would say, you know, just estimating there would be at least a hundred, you know, yeah. <laughs> hopefully they've started a practice because of me. So that's, yeah, yeah that's fun to think about. I mean, I'll, I'll do this for you because I didn't know anything about OTs being online at all until I did come across your site and no, I didn't start a therapy practice, but I did start the OT schoolhouse. And that was in part about knowing that something that OTs were going online to look for stuff. Yeah. And so I'll give you a little shout out because I did get a lot of information. You had a lot of free information on your website and I, you had your uh, kind of your, your template of how to keep track of therapy notes and stuff like that. And I was like, Whoa, like that's super cool. And so that inspired me a little bit and, and other stuff that you had on there. So I'll say thank you and that you helped me start OT Schoolhouse. So thank you. I appreciate that. That's (laughs) definitely humbling. Thank you. Yeah. So let's dive into a few questions. If we can't help anyone out there who may potentially want to start a practice. A lot of school-based OTs, I feel like we get a lot of questions about burnout and OTs get burned out. And so why do you see people wanting to start start a private practice? Mm-hmm. I think there's, there's different reasons. Um, one of them can be burnout. Just like you said, they're, they're like, ah, I can, you know, I'm going to invent a better mousetrap here. I don't, I don't have to put up with this over here. So they might be disgruntled with where they're at or just burn out. I, I have some therapists who come to me and say, you know what, Scott, I've been out of therapy for a while. Maybe they, they had a child and, and stayed at home for a little while with their child. And, and the thought of, you know, working full time for somebody doesn't appeal to them. So maybe they try to, 
they're interested in seeing just some clients on the side and that, that um, necessitates starting a therapy practice. Even if it's just small, they've seen a couple of, of clients, it's still starting a therapy practice. And that was, that's very much who I am trying to target is not that franchise type therapist who wants to start multiple clinics. We might get there. That's what mm-hmm. I do. But it's very much targeted to that solo therapist who's just like, you know what? I want to dip my toe in this. Or maybe yeah. I do want to open my own clinic. And, and that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of my wheelhouse right there. I really like speaking to those therapists and um, helping them get that off the ground. But there, yeah, there's certainly different reasons people are motivated to start their own practice. But a lot of it is, and OTs, I think, especially are, are this way. They, 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 we like to have control of how we provide our therapy because it, it is so individ, individualistic as far as what we're trying to, to do and what we're trying to provide. And to, I remember working at the facility that I was working before and there were, you know, every place has rules. You just, you mm-hmm. can't just do anything you want. You could certainly ask. But I remember when I first had my clinic and us OTs, we like swings. And so mm-hmm. I walked in, you know, walked in there and I said, I can hang a swing anywhere I want. And I was like, if I wanted to hang a swing in the waiting room, I could hang a swing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that, ap- that appealed to me. So yeah, there's different reasons, I think. Yeah. No, I think, like you said, everyone has their own reason. Uh, you were a school-based therapist. You weren't not employed by a school district, right? But you did work in the schools, correct? I have before. So we've done school contracts through, through our clinic before. And so it, it's, been a, it's been a brief period that I have been a school therapist. But yeah, I've, I've done enough of it to speak the language, I guess. <laughs> you know what an IEP is and you know how to get through all that stuff. Exactly. So if there was a school-based OT and they kind of were thinking, hey, summer's coming up, what could I potentially do? Could I make a few extra dollars through seeing some private, private uh, patients? Mm-hmm. What would you recommend kind of that first step that they really do? Get a business card. There you go. Get a business card. So I, the, I just did a solo podcast episode on getting a business card and what to have on a business card. But it's, it's a very tangible thing that, that you can always carry around with. You should always carry around a business card. Because when you run into people, you're going to have a conversation. You know, hey, what do you do? I'm a, I'm a school-based therapist. I'm a school uh, OT here at the school. Oh, really? Well, my child has, has autism. Oh, okay. And then, you know, the conversation's off and running at that point. Mm-hmm. They can't stop at the business card. Your, your business card has to point somewhere. So it'd be nice yeah. to have a website. But if you're a school-based therapist and you're like, I don't, Scott, I don't want a website. What, you know, I don't have time for that. At least a business card. And then, you know, obviously that's got a way to get a hold of you. I think people, I think your potential clients get confused on the steps that it takes to get the therapy. Now, some states have more regulations. California has a few regulations <laughs> about getting therapy, whereas other states like Texas and even Arkansas where I'm at, they don't have as many regulations. So you might just be able to set up therapy with a client during the summer 
and they pay you cash and you don't have to do anything. It might just be word of mouth. Hey, Jason is, a, is an OT and he'd be willing to see your kid this summer. And then you might be off and running. But you got to make some connections and you got to have a way for people to get a hold of you. So I would, I would certainly, I mean, if you can have a website, you need a website. You know, even yeah. if it's just a one-page website, just to let yeah. people know who you are and what you do. And to be honest, it's too easy to create a website nowadays not to have one if you're going to do something that simple. You, there's ones out there that you don't even have to pay for and you can put your information out on. Mm-hmm. So, so definitely do that. Um, so again, still talking about that one person that may want to go out during, during summer and maybe get a few clients. Do you think they need to go full force into it if they're going to do it? Or like you're kind of saying a second ago, just dabble with a few students, one or two students for the summer and then go back to school-based OT. Mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, people are in different situations, but from, I can give myself as an example here and my wife too, in that as I was working at the developmental preschool, I took some clients on the side as, as contract. And so I contracted with, our state department of health to see these clients, or you might contract with your state early intervention program, which is, I don't know if I would recommend that. There's a lot of, there's a lot of paperwork and hoops to oh, jump really? through with early intervention, but you, you know, you can, you can put your services out. My wife contracted with the state uh, department of health to see adults. She was doing, she's, she was a pediatric therapist at the time and she really had fond memories of her, she also did a, a level two field work at the, the VA. So she really enjoyed her time at the VA and she missed treating adult clients. So she started seeing a couple of after, after work clients through the Department of Health and she, she loved treating stroke patients. And so she did that on the side. That was really dipping our toe into the world of private practice. And so then the next step after this, you know, you're kind of getting used to the idea. So then the next step is to go find a client all on your own who's willing to pay you maybe cash out of their pocket for therapy. There's, um, there's sort of a, a barrier or a mindset that a lot of people have that insurance should pay for the therapy. So to get beyond that is difficult because once you start down that road of accepting insurance as payment, that is kind of a whole new ballgame. You know, there's a lot of hoops to jump through to get credentials with insurance. So if you're just wanting to see kids for the summer and you don't want to do that through a clinic or through another outpatient facility, you're probably kind of relegated to, you know, accepting cash payment. So then you have to convince, you know, your potential clients why that's a good move for them. You, you, yeah. might have to, you might have to think of some good reasons why they, it's okay to pay cash out of pocket. And some of those might be, you know what, we could access your insurance, but what's your deductible? Oh, you got a $2,000 deductible? You're not going to eat through that in summer therapy. So you might as well pay me cash. And I'll give, you know, you can get a, uh, well, some people call it a super bill. I don't like calling it a super bill invoice because it sounds terrible, doesn't it? Who wants to pay? It does. You know, I don't want to pay a super bill. It's like an evil villain. <laughs> You're going to charge me a super bill? That's going to be terrible. That's going to be a lot of money. But no, you can, you can tell people, 
look, you can pay me cash and I will give you an invoice with the CPT code, the diagnosis code. You can turn that into your insurance. Insurance can reimburse you for that. So that way you don't have to be on the hook for all of this therapy. Now you're going to pay me cash. You got to pay me all of it. Yeah. But if you want to get reimbursed from insurance, you certainly can seek that out on your own and I will help as much as I can. You know, I'll give you a copy of the evaluation report of the progress notes and whatnot. But uh, that's, that's one way around that. And uh, over at startertherapypractice.com in my, if you click on free forms, there's a, there's a super bill template you can use for free over there. If you if you're interested in doing that. I had never thought about that, but that, that's a good idea because that was one of the things that I did get hung up on when I was thinking about doing it. Um, because basically all these questions I'm asking you, let's be real. They're all about me. I mean, but <laughs> no, I mean, I, I kind of had different ideas. I was like sitting around, you know, and it's like, I want to do something um, over the summer. And I had never thought about like I was hung up on cash. I don't have the ability to take insurance. So who's going to, who's going to come see me when I can't take your insurance, mm -hmm. but you just kind of gave away around that. And it might, it might not work for everyone. I don't know all that good stuff, but if it works for a few people, awesome. So, yeah. And I think you at least have to give parents, if, if parents need the option, you know, if, if they're really seeking that out and they know that Jason is an awesome school therapist <laughs> and their child needs an awesome school therapist, they, it's just for summer. Well, that, that's a good, that's a smart connection to me, you know, and you're willing to come to the home. A lot of, a lot of clinics, practice owners, they don't want to go to the home. I don't want to go to the home. I mean, I've got a nice clinic. I want you to come to my clinic, but you, you don't have a clinic and you're willing to go to the home. It seems like a good connection. So they, they, you might actually be doing that parent a favor and, and maybe even a disservice if you don't offer them that. Potentially. So let's say I find the client. What would you say are a few things that kind of got to be in your private practice OT bag? Mm, okay. So I think if you're, if you're charging them cash, if they're paying you cash, education is a big part of that. Why do, why should they pay you cash when they can go to the outpatient clinic and they're going to access insurance. Well, first of all, you can come to the house. That's, that's a, that's a big plus. Mm -hmm. Second, you, they can get reimbursed from their insurance if it's going to be out of network. So they're, they're going to need to see what that's all about. I, also in my free forms is sort of, is a, it's a checklist. So what I found was parents would ask me, Hey, you're, you're, your clinic's not in network with my insurance. What can I do? Because I can't find anybody who's in network with my insurance. And the reason for that is because your insurance stinks because they don't <laughs> like therapy. And that's why we're not in that. Nobody's in network with your insurance because they don't pay for therapy very much. So what I, what I had created was a checklist to give to parents and say, look, I'm not in network with your insurance. So I can't call your insurance and check on, on benefits. Here's the questions to ask. And so I just, yeah, you know, I created that and printed it off and I, it's in my free forms uh, at the website. And so I give that to them. And then the, the, the key there is to follow up. The money's in the follow up. You got to call the parent back. Hey, did you call the insurance? What did they tell you? Oh, they told me they're not going to pay for therapy at all. Oh, I hate to hear that. Well, um, you know, I'm, I'm willing to see your child. 
you know, I would probably recommend twice a week, but you know, if you're paying out of pocket, let's just let's start with once a week. Let's just start, see how it goes. And you can cut it off and let them know they can cut it off anytime, you know, because I think some parents are like, I'm going to, I'm going to be on the hook for twice a week for three months this summer. And that's going to, they start racking up the numbers, you know, I can't, I can't mm-hmm. afford that. So start small and then go from there. That's, that's one option to give them. Gotcha. And so what about evaluations? Mm-hmm. Is is it required? Do you need to do an evaluation before you start to see a kid in a private practice? Mm-hmm. So there's probably some state regulations that you yes, might need I think to be so. aware of. Each state has, so that would call your licensing board and say, hey, what's, what's the regulations for me doing private practice as far as do I need an eval, an initial evaluation? Do I need a prescription? That's a big one. Do I, you know, are you, uh, do you have to have that prescription from the doctor? Some states, uh, you don't have to have a prescription, then you're good to go. If you're accessing insurance, you're probably going to need a prescription. But if it's cash and your state doesn't require it, you don't need a prescription. I would do, even if our state didn't require, which honestly, I don't know if our state requires it or not. I just, I go by the strictest guidelines or regulations, which is our state Medicaid. So Medicaid requires an initial evaluation. So we always do an initial evaluation, even if they're paying cash. So I would recommend that evaluation. Just, I mean, you want to get the baseline scores of a standardized assessment to see where you're at. That way, when you work your OT, uh, you know, you work your therapy magic, you can say, hey, we were here, now we're here. And that's because you decided to come see me for OT. Uh, that's, that's, those are two good reasons to do an initial evaluation. Yeah. So, I mean, that might mean that someone who's going to do this over the summer, they need to go out and purchase an assessment or two, a kit or two. Um, Maybe, I don't know, what are some common evaluations you use over in the clinic? Well, before that, there's, um, there's some options there. So if you're close to a university, Sometimes we borrow tests from a university. So, I mean, we have a lot of evaluation kits at our clinic, but there's some that are kind of obscure, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to speech tests. So sometimes the speech therapist will, you know, we're, we're in the same town as the university who cranks out therapists. So the speech therapist will call them and say, hey, can we borrow this test kit? Sure, come on over and get it. You can borrow it. That might be an option, you mm-hmm. know. So you might not actually have to be out any um, – any money on a speech kit. You don't want to abuse that, you know, but it's, it might, it might be something that you can look into. If you're doing kids, I mean, I I have sort of moved away from the Peabody two and uh, I like the Mullins. I like the bot, bot two. Are they on the bot three yet? I don't think so. I'm still using the bot two. (laughs) I I didn't think they were on the bot three yet. So the melons is for a, a little bit younger crowd. You know, you're probably zero to five and your bots going to be probably five years and up. Uh, those mm-hmm. are probably two of the main tests that I would recommend if you do it. You know, a lot of parents might be, you know, in the OT world, they might be concerned about handwriting. So then you can look at the THS, the handwriting, uh, handwriting test, test of handwriting revised, I believe it is. The TH or yeah, the THSR. SR. Test of handwriting skills revised. Yeah, there it is. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> so I, we have that one. Um, the VMI is a, is yeah. a good, you know, is a good test. It's probably 
some of the, I'm sure it's some of the same tests that you're using there. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Bot, THS, VMI, RAVMA, mm-hmm. a few others. But it, now, yeah. if you go buy all those, I mean, the Mullins itself is almost $1,000. So, you could, and you go buy a bot kit, it's been a while since I bought mine, you're probably three, $400. Yeah. You're, so, you could be out some money. Yeah. So, you're probably best to buy them as needed. And yes. <laughs> not, don't go out and spend, buy them all. And then next thing you know, you're a few thousand dollars in debt already. and You haven't even seen your first, first That's kit. It. That's it. Yeah. And you, and you want to know that you're going to try this for the long haul. You know, if you're going to do this every summer for the next 10 summers, it might be a good investment. And it might be something that your OT buddy in the next town, you know, they're not competition for you, but maybe they'd go in halvesies on a, on a bot kit, you know, that you could split that up. There you go. In fact, that actually kind of brings up something that I'm seeing out here in Southern California. I don't know if you've seen it out there or if anyone else has seen it anywhere else, but there's starting to be places where you can almost rent a space in a therapy gym. And so you are your own contractor and you are renting out a space from basically another therapist to use their gym to see a few clients. Have you seen that yet? So when you say gym, are you talking more gymnastics gym or an actual therapy gym? Well, actually both. Um, I, I have heard of people going to a gymnastics gym, but I'm talking more about a therapy gym. So it's almost like a hair salon, you know, where each hair salon is their own individual um, entity, basically, but they all rent the space. So you might have four therapists there in a small type of clinic, but they, none of them actually own the clinic and they're all kind of renting space to work there. Have you heard, the, heard of this? I like the idea. I've had that idea over the years, but what's kept me from doing something like that is, in my mind, you, it sort of has to be a metropolis to pull that off. You know, you, you'd have to have some flow um, of kids, which, like I said, I live in a small town. I couldn't pull yeah. that off. I mean, you might, I guess you could run other things through there. You know, you could work, if you're doing gymnastics, there's a friend of mine, he owns a, gym, a gymnastics gym in the town the bigger town that I, you know that we have our clinic in and it's a huge facility so i approached him even before we opened our second clinic and i said hey um what would you think about me opening a you know a therapy clinic inside your gymnastics gym and we talked about it went back and forth a little bit but he was he wouldn't he didn't want to do it that was fine but it, you know at least i approached him with the idea so if you're talking about like you said, like a salon type of right of arrangement, you're renting a chair in a salon. Mm-hmm. It could be the same concept for renting your therapy space. Um, I, and I do suggest that in when I talk to potential practice owners, they want they're thinking about, it, I'm like, well, think about subleasing in somebody else's space. Yeah. You know, if somebody has a gymnastics gym or, they have, um, you know, PTs do this quite often. They'll approach a gym, you know, for adults and they'll say, hey, can I sublease some space here? I actually have a PT who subleases space in our pediatric facility. She's in a, she treats adults. She does, um, is it called red needling? I think that's what it's called. And she needed a space in, in our small hometown here. It's dry needling, I'm sorry. I'm thinking red line, red line. There's two different PT uh, treatments there. So she does dry needling and she 
does that after hours in our pediatric clinic. So she's, she's done that. She's subleasing for me and everybody wins. There you go. Yeah. And like I said, I, you're right where you need that steady flow. This was down in Orange County, California, where I've heard about these clinics where multiple therapists are all kind of subleasing a, a time and a space in there. Um, however, a recent therapy friend of mine was actually talking about a contact she has who is doing exactly the other side of it where she's paying not too much. I want to say it was like maybe $10 to see a kid in a some sort of gymnastics gym or something. And so she had worked out this deal that basically she's paying $10 an hour to see a kid in a gym that she obviously doesn't have to pay for all the mats. She doesn't have to pay for everything. And I don't know what she has access to in there. It's obviously not going to look like a world-class sensory integration type of gym, but there's going to be a lot of good mm-hmm. stuff in there. So um, that might be an option for anyone out there that. I think that's a great option to, to approach some a facility that you're, that you think I could treat somebody in here and this would be awesome and approach them and say, give them, give them some options and say, I could pay you per month. I can pay you off the top per, for each kid. Like there's a big trampoline indoor trampoline park in our town, you know? Oh, that'd be fun. Could, you could do, you could, you could do groups in there. You could do, you could say, look, I'll, you could rent the whole facility for an hour and then, you know, <laughs> <laughs> do some group therapy. I don't, oh, it's, it's really, you have to, you know, to use the cliche of thinking outside the box, but to come up with some different ways of maybe subleasing or using a space that, um, that would be conducive to therapy. Like the, there's a community center in our, in our town and they, they have a room that they'll charge you $25. I think it's just like half a day, $25 for a half a day. Can't be that huge room. And downstairs they have basketball courts. They have an elevated track. You could do, you could do therapy in, uh, you know, they do like exercise classes in there. Why couldn't you do therapy in there? Yeah. Good idea. So, like you said, you ha- you've, you've dipped and dabbed in a little bit of a school base and you know some of the culture, you know some of the things that go on with school base. And one of those common things, and they seem to be on the rise, at least here in Southern California, is IEEs. And so what do you know about potentially being an IEE, independent evaluation, uh, if you want to call them a provider, I guess, or an evaluator? Yeah, yeah. We've done that in our, in our, in our clinic. Um, I did one here fairly recently, but it was it was two hours away. It was it was not a it was not a district that was even remotely close to us. And my thinking was there when they approached me is you're far enough away that the optics of this are not gonna hurt me if something goes bad. And because I had and you tell me from your end, the I the image I had, me coming in as a independent evaluator is I'm the gunslinger. You know, I might be perceived as the bad guy here coming in, evaluating this child because something has not gone quite right. And th- yeah. in our instance, it was, there was a lawsuit pending. So we were the independent evaluator in this uh, lawsuit action that the parents brought against the school. So I really had to think about, you really have to think about how that's going to look as far as perception and then how that potentially could come back on your reputation, right, wrong, or indifferent, you have to think how that's going to play out 
after you do that evaluation, after you sit in on that IEP meeting, what's mom and dad going to say to the school district? How is that going to play out in the lawsuit? And Mm -hmm. so I would be interested from your side of the table, how that's perceived from the school-based therapist. We get both sides of it because it really depends on why the EE, why the IEE is really being held and also who gets to pick the IEE uh, provider or evaluator. Cause sometimes the district says, okay, yep, here's a list of people that we have on contract with, go ahead and pick one. And typically those are IEE providers that the district likes and will have no problem with. But then every now and then, there's that IEE provider that comes in that the parent's advocate knows and they're coming in. And those are the ones where it gets a little dicey up in the air and people get, you know, nervous and everyone's kind of, well, comparing OT reports, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, <laughs> this is my school-based OT report. Well, this is my clinic-based OT report that's, that's in schools and and what is what and all that good stuff. And it's unfortunate that it happens, but it, the reality is it does. And um, so it's, it's kind of got both sides. And I think we're going to have another podcast about this soon, but um, just talking about, we need to just keep the child in our best interest. And I think everyone is doing that. And as long as we can do that and you come into an IEE meeting with that in mind and that this report is about the child and not about, me versus you, him versus her, district versus parent, then we can all be civil about it and make amends and figure it out what we can do to best help the kid. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the route we should take. Does it always go that way? Not necessarily. Yeah. Well, but, and I think as therapists, we really have to be careful, whatever side of the table you're on, to not let, not let the parent in that situation or the school for that matter, draw you in for to badmouth one side or the other. We, as, a, as a therapist, you have to take the high road there because you have to be, there has to be some sort of sanity in that situation. And the therapist, the OT is in the perfect position to play that, that role. We don't want to, we don't want to badmouth our, our, our coworkers, our fellow therapists, or really the administration or the parents for that matter. We no. want to do, like you said, we want to do what's right by, by the child. And we want to bring light to that situation and not so much heat because those situations can be contentious. In the, mm-hmm. in the situation I was in, the mom was, was the wild card and she was, she was explosive. Um, it, was, it was a difficult situation. And so I honestly, I just, I, sat, I gave my report and I sat back and watched. You know, if they asked me a question, I would answer it, but I was not putting my nose in that situation because I really honestly didn't know the history that much of the situation. I came in as an independent evaluator, did my job, kind of got out. If they ask me a question, I'm going to answer it honestly, give some suggestions, but yeah, they can get, you know, they can get heated. Yeah. Yeah. I've been pretty fortunate to not be in too many of them, but I've heard many stories and yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish it upon many people <laughs> like at all. Cause that is just not, not a good situation or not a fun situation. At the no. end. But if we can keep the kid at heart, I'm sure we'll all be good. Yep. Um, going on. What about contracting with districts? Most 
So with school-based therapists, there's a wide variety of the way that we work for the school. Some of us are directly employed by the district. Others are contracted through a third-party agency, through maybe even a clinic like yours or something to work at a school district. Um, that may mean going to the school or that may mean that the school buses kids or has their parents bring them after school. But still, some people, I think, are trying to be their own contract and contract their own services to a district. Have you ever experienced that or did that yourself? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it was my goal when we first started our practice, our clinic, to not need, not have to have a school contract because they're in, in our state, it's a rural state, you know, it's, it's very, there's very rural school districts. That, and so school districts, the smaller ones, especially will, will contract out that therapy or at least part of it um, during the year. So there, there's opportunities out there and we've had those opportunities throughout the years of providing the school contract. What I had determined pretty early on was I I didn't necessarily want the school contract for the, for the school in the same town that my clinic was in because for, for a couple of reasons, there could be some conflict of interest there. Yeah. You know, if I, because the, honestly the first, the, well, actually the second um, location that we were at, we kind of outgrew our first one. We were right across from the school. I mean, you know, I could we just right across the street from the school. That's got to be hard to turn down parents, I'm sure. <laughs> well, well, it was it was one of the I had to bid on that school contract when it came open. We didn't get it. I knew I had outbid anybody else. Just but I didn't I didn't get it and I looking back on it, I'm thankful I didn't get it. Yeah. Because what can happen as a school-based therapist is it, it, I mean it doesn't have to happen, but it could happen that I got I got or a therapist that I hired would get some sort of reputation in the school. Well, then it's, it reflects back. I mean, it's a small town, you know, word gets around, mm -hmm. then it gets back to, well, that's that, that's our clinic doing that and don't go to see them because they did this in the school. So we've avoided that because we didn't get that contract in the same town. Now that being said, I've got, I've got school contracts in different towns that my clinic are not in. And that, that works out fine. And it's not to say it couldn't work out fine, but then you also have, if you're in the same town getting that, that school contract and you have a clinic in that town, there potentially could be conflicts of interest or perceived conflicts of interest. Yeah. For in fact, one of, one of my colleagues actually was just sharing a story with me the other, I don't know, a week or so ago about how a parent of a student that she saw in school actually... I, I don't know if she stopped her in the parking lot or and asked her if she would see the same kid that she sees in school privately. And she, you know, she kind of did what you did. She thought about it, but she's like, no, that's, that's a conflict of interest. I can't do that. Where does it turn from school-based to home model-based or, or whatever you want to call it? And she absolutely just kind of said, sorry, I can't do it. It's too close to too many lines mm -hmm. and had to turn it away. So definitely have to keep that in mind when, when you're a school-based therapist, potentially trying to get some extra work. Yeah. And, and I would say that for any, any therapists who are listening, who, who are not doing school-based therapy right now, and you have the keen notion of, well, I know the school down the road, 
they have the contract coming up. I'm going to bid on that because I can be my own private practice and have a school contract. If you have not done school-based therapy, (laughs) (laughs) you laugh because you know, Jason. Well, maybe that's why they're listening to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to, you don't want to go, you don't want to do that if you haven't done school-based therapy and think I'm going to, I'm going to start my own private practice by getting this contract. That. It's a good way to get a bad reputation. (laughs) All right. Well, obviously part of the reason you're on this podcast, we kind of were touching on it at the beginning, but I want to go back to it is you have this fantastic resource available online and it's, I think it's opening up soon here. And so I want to give you the opportunity to kind of share. We've already talked about a lot. You've already given a lot of great value, but what, what do you go further into detail in this uh, Academy you have? Yes. Thank you for asking. So the Academy of Private Practice, after I had started the podcast and the website, you know, people, people wanted more. They wanted more, um, more of me directly as far as some, some hand-holding. They also wanted some more resources. And so I created the Academy of Private Practice for that reason. It opens the first quarter of each month, so four times a year it opens. So the middle of that first month of the quarter um, you can enroll into the Academy of Private Practice. I only open it four times a year, and really it's only open, the enrollment period is like five days. So that helps me control the flow of new, new, new therapists coming in so I can give everybody personal attention. In the Academy of Private Practice, there's video lessons, there's resources. The, one, the, the relevance here of talking about getting school contract, there's there's a, an RFP in there. Uh, there's a school contract in there. So as I've, you know, contracted with schools, some schools, they don't have a contract that they've created to contract out therapy. That's kind of crazy to me, but I've come across that. You know, I've had a school district say, you want to see some kids for us? Sure. Uh, and I'll say, send me the contract. Um, we, don't, we don't have one. Can, can you create one <laughs> and send it to us? So, uh, yeah, I've... I've created the school contract over the years and just some kind of some cover paperwork of what to put with that. But then not only that, but also how to find school contracts, how to find what they call RFPs. I didn't know what an RFP was when I started my private practice is a request for proposal. That's a, that's common government language, but yeah, if you, if, if you don't know, you don't know. And if you don't know the terminology to get on Google and search for that, or the different websites of where to find that, or how to approach a school with that notion of, hey, do you have any RFPs, or how to find that. Over the years, I'm like, well, how do I find when these schools are open for an RFP? So that's one aspect of the Academy of Private Practice. That's one lesson in there. And then there's some paperwork that goes um, to back that up. But not only that, if somebody wanted to open, you know, a brick and mortar clinic, I've got, I've got some lessons on that. And then what we do once a month is we have masterminds. So members of the Academy of Private Practice, <clears throat> they're invited once a month, the fourth Thursday of every month, to set in on a mastermind. And you bring your questions, and we all help each other out with answering those questions. And I've learned a ton from that. I mean, I'd love doing mastermind because I get to help, but then I get to learn from these other practice owners and want to be practice owners in their ideas of how to start a practice, how to grow a practice. So I've, I, 
I get to learn too. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great benefit for, for me and, and the other therapist also. Of course, we've got a private Facebook group. Everybody, you know, that's, everybody's on yeah. Facebook, so we're, we're over there also. And then uh, for Academy members, I offer consultation with me. So actually, I just before you and I jumped on this call, I got off of a call with an Academy member. Her dilemma was she was in a 300-square-foot space she, she has some contract therapists working for her. She, she's renting, she's going, moving up in size a thousand square foot. So her question to me was, how do I get, she's doing a lot of home health clients, a lot of early intervention. How do I wean myself off early intervention and home health and get more kids in, in the clinic? Cause I got a bigger clinic now. So we had that conversation and I gave her some, some ideas um, that have worked for me over the years on how to, how to help her out with that. So that's a benefit of being a member is you get to schedule time with me and work over some things. So there's, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm putting, so sometimes we do a book club, like, Hey, let's read this book and talk about it. We'll do that sometimes. Uh, and it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed the Academy of private practice and helping out therapists, you know, start their own practice. And if they have more questions on that, uh, I'm sure you can, maybe put a link over there on on the show notes maybe it'll be everywhere it'll be on the show notes it'll be if you're listening on itunes if you just kind of scroll up a little bit it'll be right there it'll be everywhere so uh be sure to check out startatherapypractice.com and remind them all again once more of the name of the actual academy yep it's, it's the academy of private practice and um, I also want to tell everybody if um, over at startatherapypractice.com, if you go to startatherapypractice.com backslash OT schoolhouse, I've got a special checklist for you if you're interested in starting a practice. This is, I call this my super duper start a therapy practice checklist. And it's, uh, I, you can't, you don't find it on anywhere else on my, on my website. This is not, this is not one of my freebies that I give away on the freebie page. So Oh, wow. Thank you. Uh, yeah, do that just, just for your listeners there, Jason. Thank you so much. So that was startuptherapypractice.com forward slash OT Schoolhouse. That's it. Great. We will, of course, obviously link to that as well. Make sure everyone can find that. Um, well, man, you answered like I had a lot more questions and you answered like all of them. So I've got nothing left. Is there anything else you want to kind of give a shout out to or, or say anything else today? Well, I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to be over here. I've, I've listened to you for a while now, Jason. You do a great job on, on your podcast. And, uh, you know, if, if people want some, some more podcasts to listen to, it's, they can search Start a Therapy Practice on iTunes, Stitcher, and your other podcast players. And that way you can kind of see what I'm up to. I think <clears throat> at last count, I don't know, I'm, I'm up to around 90 different episodes. So if you want to listen to the first episodes of the podcast and start there, just know it gets better from there. <laughs> I had to start somewhere, right? That's absolutely. <laughs> That's the hardest part is, is uh, getting, getting to starting. That's, That's it. Yes. Yeah. Well, Scott, thank you so much. We appreciate you taking your time out of the day and coming on. I want to definitely recommend to everyone on here. If you are even thinking about starting a private practice, whether you just want to see one client or work your way up to a hundred, that's the place to start out. That's where I kind of started out a long time ago. I never got around to actually starting my private practice. For everyone out there, go over there, sign up. Get If nothing else, he has so many freebies and a special one just for you. So be sure to head on over there. And so uh, yeah, thank you, Scott. And we'll uh, talk to you next time. Yeah, we'll talk soon.
Hey everyone, thanks for listening. This is Jason again. Thank you. Huge shout out to Scott Harmon from startatherapypractice.com for taking the time to come on here and share with us everything that he does and how he helps our occupational therapy community to get started with our own practice. So the reason that today's podcast was you know, in April is because summer is coming up. So if anyone is interested and, you know, potentially seeing some clients during the summer, I highly recommend that you check out Scott's website, startatherapypractice.com, his podcast, Start a Therapy Practice Podcast. And yeah, you know, he's just a great mind, great resource. Definitely check it out. With that, be sure to check out the show notes over at otschoolhouse.com forward slash episode 27. We do have links over to his website there. It's pretty easy to remember start a therapy practice, but if not, uh, we do have those links over there. So check that out and we will see you next time on the OT Schoolhouse podcast. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the OT Schoolhouse podcast. For more ways to help you and your students succeed right now, head on over to otschoolhouse.com. Until next time, class is dismissed. 